Hi, Drew. Hello, Kendall. Hi, Lee. Hi, Kendall. How was Hawaii? It was all right. Yeah. That's what we're here to dig into. We got a lot to unpack. That's why I'm here. <laughs> a lot happened. <laughs> well, I saw bits and pieces, so it clearly uh, there was plenty of action. Yeah, we stopped posting stuff after the after uh, Lanai because we're trying to keep it a little bit secret. Yeah. Plan is to wait until videos are ready to post before we kind of spill the beans on what we hunted. Nice. So you haven't even seen all the pictures yet, have I you? haven't. I feel like you. <clears throat> that's one of those trips that you go into with a plan, and then everything changes along the way. It was like... Stuff like stuff was constantly changing for us, and it was kind of just like flying by the seat of our pants the whole time, like changing where we were staying or where we were hunting or who we were hunting with. Like we were constantly meeting people, and it was. It almost didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> right. Down, yeah, yeah, it I almost know. didn't happen. Actually, like it literally right down to the wire. Yeah, literally down to the wire. We're, um, we were trying to pull filming permits for Lanai. Found out last second that we have to have like all this insurance and stuff and we couldn't get insurance in time. Luckily it worked out last second, but there was a minute there where I was like, this, we may not be going, we might be canceling flights here. Yeah. They, um, they have an, a pretty extensive like permit process because I, I mean, it's Hawaii. I think they have people that, you know, from all Netflix, like, you, you know, whatever you're doing, I think there's tons of people that are filming out there. So, um, there was, an extensive permitting process. And yeah, I mean, it was literally like the night before we're flying out in the morning, we don't have the permits and the time changed like six hour time difference. So like for us, you know, it was eight o'clock at night. Right. And for them, it's like just after lunchtime there. And we're like, Hey, like we gotta, we gotta know, are we going or not? And the last minute she was like, you know, good to go. And so, yeah, we just, just took off. And, uh, Lanai was, so we, we spent the first part at Lanai, spent four day, three and a half days access to your hunting. Yep. And then we went to the big Island and that's where things just a lot of moving parts of like who we were hunting with, where we were hunting, all this kind of stuff, uh, ended up hunting pigs over there and like urban pigs, which was right in our alley. <laughs> and nice. dude, when we get into that part of it, it's pretty wild. Like the <laughs> urban pig deal. It was really cool. But, uh, so we went with, we had a, a sort of a plan going to the big Island. We had booked with an outfitter, um, who we got put in touch with through high adventure company, which is kind of how we got set up at Lanai, but we only had like a, basically one hunt planned with them, like a day hunt. And we were on the Island for four days. So it could have gone, we could have like gotten there and just been like, all right, what the heck do we do? You know, we have one video plan for here, but what's what do we do with the rest of the time? But it ended up working out like better than we could have possibly we ended up with like five we could have done five or six videos easily i think we ended up with four good ones and even the last day when we were goat hunting we were on an abandoned golf course and he (laughs) didn't want us to film because i I think it's one of those spots that like he just kind of wanted to keep under wraps a little bit but dude if we would have filmed there it would have been epic how, like, f- how fitting in another abandoned golf course. I know. I know. I mean, it's like they just they just keep coming. We've was, been trying to find cool. another one, happened to find one in Hawaii. <laughs> but the Hawaii deal is like it's so far from home. Uh, obviously, we like door knocking is kind of our deal. Uh, it's not kind of. It is our deal. And that's not really possible when you're that far away from home to like have a, have a trip 
totally reliant on getting permission, knocking on doors. So like really the only, the only realistic way to do it was to have some outfitter hunts like lined up where we at least knew, you know, okay, we're, we're, we do have hunts that we're hundred percent going to do. And it turned into like, we met this guy, one of the guides that we were hunting with on Lanai was like, dude, the nicest guy you've ever met in your life. An amazing hunter too. And he ended up like, he just, we hit it off, connected with him. And it's like, once you have a connection out there and you're kind of in one of those networks, this guy made a couple phone calls and it's like, we went, when we went to the big Island, it was like, we were immediately family with some of these guys you put us in contact with. And it was really cool. Uh, like the, the open arms, we, we met a few of the best people, like genuinely, I think we've ever, ever, ever come across hunting. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and one of the guys, Mike, uh, he does the same deal. He has a landscape. How, how familiar does this sound? Has a landscaping company and the pigs are coming up, tearing up all these people's landscaping. So he has all this bow hunting permission in all these urban areas from, you know, talking with people, but also through his like networking through his landscaping business. So he has like tons of pig spots and it's like, we were, we were driving around and he's like, I've got permission behind that church. I got permission behind this person, like this school, this, that, and the other. And it's like, this is literally I sounds so familiar, identical right? to what we do back <laughs> home. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Terrain's a little bit different, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Lava fields, um, lava fields, jungle, just, some bizarre terrain like legit lava fields yeah it's not like not trying to clickbait it this is legit lava that not active lava like you're gonna fall into a pit and die <laughs> like melt but like you can clearly see like it it almost some of it almost looked like it happened the day before it looked that just like fresh no uh, no trees no grass yeah. just straight up black rock for as far as you can see and there's goats Everywhere. everywhere in it and so and okay bizarre. so so my like notion or preemptive whatever i'm trying to say my thought process before the hunt was like i don't want to shoot a goat <laughs> it's a farm animal like i'd feel bad shooting a little thing going man just smoking it right through the lung like i just feel terrible and that's kind of how i felt going into it like eh, i'm not so sh sure like you know it's we're hunting goats and they seem to be just kind of, you know, like you're driving down the highway and there's like 30 of them just like, you know, poached up on top or uh, just perched up on top of these rocks. They look like we saw like four or five billy goats, like big billies. And I thought they were statues at first. I thought yeah, they were they fake. Stand motionless. Just motionless. Really? Yeah. Perched. Um, and then once getting into it, like we've learned, we learned that their, their smells good and their vision's really good too. And they were tough to hunt. It wasn't like, it's not like it was, you know, easy. And it's, that's, what's weird out there is like almost every animal has been brought there. That's right. So they had like cows that were wild. And I was asking them, I was like hunting a cow, like, you know, how easy is that? And he's like, no, it's not easy. He's like, they're extremely savvy. It's like, they'll catch your wind. And he's like, as big as they are, he's like, they'll move through some of the thickest stuff. So quiet and you won't hear them. So it's just, it, it was a, completely different hunting experience than we have ever even come close to having. And it was, I learned a ton from it, especially the Lanai, the Lanai part, but it was like just all around an unbelievable experience. 
It's it's the perfect trip to start a season off with because it's such a target rich environment. Yeah. On Lanier, uh, Lanai with the Axis deer, and then I think all the other islands. Some of the other islands have Axis, but all the islands have pigs and goats. I brought seven arrows on the trip, thinking that that was a lot. And after the first morning, I realized that I didn't bring enough arrows. <laughs> like, luckily, we ended up collecting a few that we had shot, but I came home with basically one that's trash at this point. If I went back, like, next time, I'd probably bring 20 plus. Yeah. But it's like you get so many shot opportunities, so many stalk opportunities, and just so many, like, game planning opportunities. It's a good warm up for the rest of the season, it's a good confidence booster. Yeah, that's a great warm up for you going to spot and stock some yeah. uh, muleys muleys elk i feel yeah. like what we learned with the spot and stock stuff is stuff because we don't like we don't get to do that very much most of the stuff we do is saddle hunting hunting out of a lock on some sort of tree stand and we don't really get to spot and stock that much yeah this was a crash course into it and we were lucky that the guy jason we were hunting with i mean has hunted there for years hunts there probably most days and he is like a phenomenal dude he's a killer you should see the whitetail that he killed in iowa is that where it was wisconsin the big one was it, it was no, either it was, it iowa was, or wisconsin it wasn't wisconsin it was iowa it's one of the midwestern states just giant what would you guess like it's a big deer any guesses on what it would score uh 203 294 <laughs> what? <laughs> he's one of those guys that like keeps his stuff under wraps. He's like, oh, I'm pretty, pretty private. Like I'm pretty, you know, quiet about his stuff. I think it's like, I, I don't think he top five st- archery bucks yeah, of all time. I think it's like top, top three or something. Number three Holy in the world. Smoke. <laughs> we walked in his house and saw it. Things huge. Did y'all take a picture? It's Videoed in, it's it. In the video, okay. yeah. Dude, it's it's ridiculous. Casually, like I was making fun of him because, like, it was you know we'd been hanging out with him for a day, a full day, and he actually uh, knew our videos and had watched our videos and stuff. Oh, that's awesome! Which was really cool. He was kind of excited about that, uh, and it's it's kind of cool to think that, like, you know, even dudes in Hawaii that uh, he whitetail hunts, but most of those people out there have never hunted whitetail in their life are still seeing some of our stuff, which was cool. Mm. Um, and so he knew, you know, kind of who we were going into it knew that we hunted whitetails, you know, that we'd probably be interested in hearing that he'd killed a 290 inch deer. (laughs) And it was like the second day we were hanging out with him when he like casually brought it up. And I'm like, dude, I feel like that's something you bring up like, like initially. (laughs) By the way, I know you guys like to shoot big deer. I may or may not have killed a 290 something. With a bow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, I was making fun of him. I was like, dude, I feel like that's you know when you're talking to whitetail guys it's like you can't drop that that bomb on them just like casually i feel like you need to be like my name's jason i enjoy a nice glass of scotch i like long walks on the beach and i've killed a 294 inch deer with my bow <laughs> just like it's like it was insane and if we if we didn't go in his house and see it i, I probably never would have believed it so how was eating goat bad <laughs> uh, it was okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into that part, but Mike Hooley was talking about who we who kind of set us up on the big island. He threw a gigantic barbecue for us and cooked up I don't even know how many different meats. It's like seven or eight different meats. Oh, that's killer. And so Goat was one of them. He was like running all over the place trying to cook. He literally cooked everything himself. 
Um, I think the goat got a little overcooked, so it was pretty tough, and it just kind of tasted like a goat smells. <laughs> so mm. it definitely was not the best of the meats that we had. But uh, the billies also don't taste as good. Yeah, from I, what they were saying is like the nannies. Everyone we talked to said like it's good if if you kill like a, a nan- smaller like a smaller nanny. nanny. Yeah. Um, and then I think you have to like most guys were saying they do like a curry uh, curry sauce or something like that, to kind of mask a little bit of the gamey taste. But it definitely tasted like you would expect a goat to taste. In all of my clothes and all, like our camera gear and stuff, still smells like smells goat. like goats. <laughs> and whoever was sitting next to us on the plane last night probably smelled goat the entire time because we literally, I killed a Billy with. We had a deadline like to be at the bottom of the lava field of the truck by six thirty. I shot a Billy at six fifteen. Or sit, maybe six. On top of the on, mountain. On top of the mountain. And like we, nowhere close to the truck. I had to rip the guts out and like Lee ran up and met me halfway as we like, as I was basically running it down this lava field. <laughs> and if I had fallen, it, that stuff would have cut me in half. Dude. So we didn't shower. We just like quickly changed, threw all our crap together and got in the plane. I just, I, I just did deodorant stick from about here <laughs> to here. Just like the whole, just trying to mask like everything I could. And I, yeah, I mean, I I know that we smelled. I don't even horrible on this plane. Like I genuinely felt bad for the the two ladies that had to sit next to us. It was, it was yeah. But why don't we uh, why don't we just back up and like break this down in detail? Sorry, yeah. Starting with Lanai and kind of how we got there and how this trip came to be. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's this. So <laughs> we get to Lanai and. Um, the first guy we were supposed to hunt with was Alec, who I think is like the main guide there. Um, super good hunter. And then there's a guy who we had heard about, uh, before going pretty much everybody who's gone has mentioned this guy's name, Bob, the butcher. And he's just this like hilarious dude. Uh, super nice guy. And we were hunting with him and he basically just like, there's like the flats area where most of Alec and Jason did a lot of their hunting was real open terrain. You can see forever. Um, Bob liked hunting like this mountain area, jungle-ish mountain area. So we drive up there and he's kind of like showing us doing like a quick loop around this place. Um, and that's kind of like the first, the first two, two days we spent uh, kind of up higher in the mountains looking around for that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the last two days we spent more in the open flats area type stuff. Um, Bob is like, there's so much to unpack with Bob. <laughs> there's so much to unpack. Uh, he's extremely, extremely hilarious. Uh, but he's also a phenomenal butcher. Like he was trained by the French or something crazy. Mm-hmm. And how he is cutting up these axis deer is unmatched so we have phenomenal meat that we need to do a uh cook up get people to come over and cook some axis meat nice. that he cleaned he takes a ton of pride in how he does it and what he does yeah and his we, we spent quite a bit of time in his shop which is just his house and he's got this like side garage building kind of where he does all the butchering if you walked in there you would never expect that he's like cleaned an animal in there doesn't smell like anything it's there's no flies like no blood he doesn't he doesn't even have like a floor drain. He just hangs it up and puts a cooler underneath it and then just like 
mops it out afterwards. It's spotless. But he, he clean, keeps it clean like a chef would his yeah. kitchen, right? Yeah. Like doesn't have a walk-in cooler. He he cleans the deer as soon as the hunter drops it off and has like a almost like a, a drink cooler with a glass front like you see at a convenience store. And he just like packs everything in there. And then his kitchen has like the processing equipment. But it's he's got it. He's got it down to a, a science. And we had some of his Axis jerky sticks that were freaking fire. He also... Did uh, you bring me some of this? Uh, it's getting shipped here. We'll get you some. Yeah. We'll take care of your poppy. Don't worry. Yeah, thank you. Uh, he also, like, the, the behind the scenes of that island, this is where, like... Some of which may or may not be true. <laughs> even if it's, like, 10% true is insane. So this guy, uh, Larry Ellison, isn't that his name? Yeah. Bought the island. I, th- I think he said it was like 2011, something like that. How many acres? <sighs> Do you know? I don't even know. You it's, probably look it up. I'm going to look it up. I think he bought it for like, it was two or $300 million. Bought the whole island. And, and like the, even the concept is like buying an entire Hawaiian island is insane. Bought the whole island. Apparently he's like really tight with Elon Musk. Uh, Joe Rogan, I think, bought a couple houses out there, allegedly. We'll go ahead and start this section with whatever we say about this island as far as, like, this side of it goes is all, in quotes, allegedly. Right. It's not factual. We don't know. But it's this a, is what we were told. It's 140 square miles. So buying 140 square own, mile I think island. He owns, I think he owns, like, 98% of it or something yeah. crazy. So, <laughs> apparently, like... We were told Mark Zuckerberg bought or like, I guess was in on purchasing the island for whatever reason they kicked him out. Then he went to like Kauai and bought like 7,000 acres and built like a 40 foot fence around his entire 7,000 acres. Um, There's like a bunch of billionaires that are involved out there and it, it like, it will make you feel like they know something that we don't. And it makes you feel like they know the end of the world's coming and they're preparing for it. Like this guy's building a bunker on the Nye. They're we're, like, we're probably going to get a target put on our backs by talking potentially, about this. Potentially, but again, this is all allegedly. We don't know. This is this is what stuff we're being told. Don't know if it's true or not. Um, there was like this hundred and ten foot drone that they have on the island that stays up for like six months out of the year. It's so it got solar panels, so it's solar powered, and just like circles the island. For like six months out of the time. Improved cell service. Which cell service was fine out there. (laughs) But apparently that like, yeah, that's what it's for cell service. But. Did you feel like you were being watched as you were hunting? Not, no. Mm, I think it's it's all preparations for what's to come. Yeah. I think so too. It's to secure the island once it's time. But it's it's weird because like, you know, this Lanai is very uninhabited. There's like a small town. There's a few resorts, but the the hub of it is this small town. I mean, like very you know n- not much going on at all. Only a few places to eat, but they have like hundreds of Tesla parking spots with like the charging units and everything. And it's I'm like, does everybody what, have a Tesla it, there? Well, they're building a resort in town. So it's they like just started construction on it. They're setting up for the infrastructure, large yeah. infrastructure, and <clears throat> it's. I don't know, man. It it makes you like, a lot of the stuff we were told. It makes you really think like they know something, 
Like there's like it seems like he is setting up. There's like he has like uh, armed security around his like premises, like machine guns apparently, where like no one's allowed in or out. Um, again, we were told Elon Musk is like super involved somehow that he allegedly has some houses out there. We were told at one point, and I think this is total BS, was that he was on the island in his house. And we drove one around one night and happened to see a guy with a Tesla and this like TV that's the size of this entire wall and a guy that sort of looked like Elon Musk <laughs> in the yard. They said that his jet was in the air, at the airport. So yeah. They knew he was here or knew he was there. Facts, not, don't know. <laughs> Does he have like a space shuttle that he flies around in? Probably a submarine. I think that's pro- that's how he gets back and forth. There was a lot of other things too, and I can't remember all of it, but like there was just a lot of crazy details about that kind of stuff that, that, you know, there's some weird stuff going on out there. Um, the really sad part about the Island, honestly, is, uh, so it used to be a pineapple plantation, like literally as far as you could see was pineapples and they left all the, they had them in in plastic. Uh, and when they basically got rid of the pineapple farm they just like tilled in the plastic so there's plastic everywhere yeah which is really sad they use the plastic to, for like weed prevention after they planted it instead of spraying like roundup or yeah. something just cover the entire island with plastic and so it's just tilled in probably layers and layers deep and it's it's like you look it, it all looks pretty barren it's not like it's this is kind of like the dry side and it's not like there's just lush plants like tons of vegetation it's like there's this bush called Lantana and it's basically just like just sticky, like dead brush looking stuff. Almost no greenery on it. I think that's just the time. Like we just hit it during a really bad drought. Right. Apparently this is the worst drought they've had for as long as they've been there basically. But from what we heard. Yeah. But it's like the amount of deer we saw, that's the part that's craziest to me. It's like how in the world is is what you're what looking, feeding on dude yeah. it's wild it looks like there's no food and there are thousands of these deer that are living in all this brush there's not even like i think usually there's a bunch of chest high grass mixed in with that lantana and then the lantana has leaves i don't know if they really eat the lantana or not but typically it's like tall green lush grass but it looks like southern utah out there very little green down in the flats. There was there were some more like up on the mountain. Definitely more on the um, mountain. But still was really dry. Like I don't I really don't know how those deer survive with that little food. It may I don't it may impact them. I know they've had droughts in the past and they were talking about how they'd see deer like in town basically living in people's yards. People would put water bowls out and stuff for them. Um but they were finding a lot of dead deer, I guess last year or the the year before. But it seems like they're doing fine because <laughs> there's... They weren't skin and bones. No. I mean, they looked healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was about to ask if they if there's that many, if there's like a population problem with the amount of land that they have and food, it sounds like is not... What did they say? There's like 3,000 people on the island and like 40,000 animals? Something like that, yeah. Dude, it's, it's, it, it's crazy how many... Like, you drive down this, you know, dirt road or whatever... And, it, you know, you wouldn't see anything. And then it's like you'd hit the patch where they're at. And it's just like swarms of them just ru- just crossing ru- like this road or this clearing, like getting from one brush to the next set of brush. And it's like we sat the truck there and watched, you know, 75 of them 
across this clearing and it's just like and stuff that it's just like I, you know what are they eating it, it, it's crazy i mean those animals were there are, a bunch of chickens oh yeah 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 like kawaii kawaii's like covered oh uh, really yeah that was actually the first thing that we shot <laughs> first, first morning had a yeah. rooster we were set up in a ground blind and you could you can just hear the roosters <laughs> cockadoodle doing like all over the place this one was like slowly getting closer every time he'd <laughs> sound off like, oh he's coming uh and bob the butcher was like if anything it's like turkey at turkey, all it's turkey season yeah, yeah bob was like if i ask anything of you it's like shoot a rooster that's when we that's when we gained his respect was yeah. when we shot shot a rooster. He was like nobody else that comes and hunts here, no one's ever shot a rooster. And he's like I've always told everyone please get rid of the roosters. We were the only people that did. So he just like really I think that really cemented our friendship. Um but I would say it was probably some of the most difficult hunting conditions um that we've probably experienced for a lot of reasons and uh, Jason also told us, he was like, the three days, he's like the three days that you guys have been here have been the worst hunting conditions for the whole year, no doubt. And it was because the wind was dead. They have strong trade winds out there. The wind was literally non-existent, just dead. And with how dry it was. So these deer, what we learned, their vision is like, it's not, their, their vision is not that great. It's not like a whitetail. It's not like a whitetail. And, but their hearing is phenomenal and their sense of smell is phenomenal. So with it being so dry, like I can't tell you how many times we would like make a stalk up to a group of deer and it's like, I mean, it's miserably hot. So there's some of these trees that would cast a lot of shade on the ground and there'd be a pile of deer underneath it. And it's like, if you got within a hundred yards and you just like, like any, you're like, I can't tell you how many stalks we made where we got to like 75 yards and they would just get up they were, and leave. They were gone. Like we'd pop up and they'd just be gone. Like you didn't even, a lot of times you wouldn't <laughs> You're like, wait a second. Because <laughs> it was just, dude, with how still it was, how good their hearing is, the sound of us, you just, it was impossible. What are their predators there? Other Zero. People? None. Well, they get, so they get hunted nonstop. Yeah, it's year round. Night. I mean. Year round, day and night, like during the daytime. <laughs> through the outfitters and just locals hunting them nonstop rifles and archery. And then at night, uh, what are they not extermination? What do they call it? Like game management or yeah, what, something or other. Yeah. Game management comes out and shoots them with thermals and spotlights to try to manage the herd. So they're getting chased all, all the, time. the time. Yeah. But the thing is like, it's so open out there that they can't really hide unless they lay down so you can you can find the groups of deer, and you can get you can start to sneak in on, in on them. But like closing that last uh, bit of distance to actually get a shot off is is tough. And there, Jason told us he's like these deer are always switched on. He's like they're always turned on. Like <clears throat> they, there's never a time where they're just like completely Chill. relaxed, chilling, just moping. He's like they're literally like always just you know like on, on edge. And I think it's because they are hunted so much. Um, we got a bunch of shot opportunities and I think every single, well, the two shots I took, the deer were gone before the arrow got there. They're hearing either my fletchings flying through the air and, and wheeling out of there. I think it's just, they're hearing the sound of the bow. Oh, like mm-hmm. they're just Dude, that on edge. Yeah. That they're and just, 
they were not alert to us at all. I mean, they were like feeding both my shot opportunities. They were feeding not alert, you know, head down sound of the bow or fletchings. And both one of the deer ran straight and was gone before the arrow got there. The other one turned and wheeled out and that's, was gone before the arrow got there. That's the thing. Like you, can, they do something different every time. So you can't just aim low. They can, they're like, going to duck it like a whitetail. Right? Sometimes just, they do, but other, like, so the first one I shot at ducked and tur- and completely turned around and it was way gone before the arrow got there. And then the second one I shot at, I was like, okay, I'm going to aim a little bit low. This one like jumped backwards and I missed underneath it. Cause he didn't like duck into it. He just like hopped backwards. So we, I think we ended up taking six shots, uh, everywhere from 48 to 72 yards. And five of those, five of those, they were gone before the arrow got there. Like, I feel like they were all good shot. They were all, you know, heading for vitals. Yeah. And then one of them, like the last shot I took, they were one of the buck was out in the lantana. I ranged them. I think I hit brush or something with my range finder and shot. And I shot like way under him. Um, but I mean, he also ducked, so he probably like he probably would have dodged it anyways, even you, if I shot the right range. So they're really good at dodging arrows. You know what they can't dodge? A bullet. Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Bullets. <laughs> so here, so something that surprised me. You hear all these guys talk about like how smart they are and you know Rogan talks about it all the time like how turned on they are. But they are way easier to stalk than a whitetail. No no doubt. Like we got away with stuff that you would never get away with with a whitetail. I mean there's y'all will see it in the video but there's one one point where I'm like walking down a road in broad daylight there's a few does kind of standing out milling around in the middle of the road. And I'm like I don't know a hundred and then sneak up to 50 yards. But they, if they just looked, if they turned their head, they would have easily seen me like a whitetail would have seen me out of the back of their head if I tried to do that. But they like, they didn't. Hmm. So what makes it difficult is how switched on they are once you fire your bow. Um, and just how much they're pressured. But like Lee said, (laughs) a rifle is a total game changer. Like if you went out there with a rifle, you'd be, you could clean up. Yeah. You can dodge a wrench, but you can't dodge a ball. That's not the, you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, but I just feel like saying that. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so like basically when we were talking to Jason about the conditions and stuff like that, I was like, what would you say the percentages of a, a bow hunter being successful with the conditions that, that things are in now? He was like 2%. And then I was like, if you had your normal, and of course, the literally the day we leave, the strong trade winds come back. And I was like, you know, with your standard strong trade winds, what are your odds of success? He's like 80% mm-hmm. or wow. better. And it's just, well, I think that one, it's concealing your movement. You're getting your scent. As, you can obviously play the wind perfectly, but there's so much sound. They're not really hearing that bow go off like they are when everything's just dead still. Yeah. So you can get pretty doggone close to them uh, when you have the right winds and things like that going on. The last day that I was there, the last evening, we were stalking up on a group. We had like a good trade win, and we were like, like, let's go, 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 go. So we start army crawling through all this stuff. We army crawl, you know, 250 yards or so. We get to like 110 yards from this, this group of deer. And when they're in the lantana, it's hard to shoot because you can't see vitals. Like they just bury up in it. Uh, these deer were in 
kind of open grass area. I was like, this is going to be perfect. We've got great winds. We got to 100 yards. The wind just dead. And we had to stop and sit there, and we were hoping the wind would, you know, we'd get some gusts where we could keep moving. It was dead. Done for the evening. And we were like, well, we we got to, you know, we got very little time. Like, we've got to risk it. And it was like at 100 yards, 110 yards, I I made two army crawls and just like, and they heard it and gone. And it's like, it, it was brutal, but it was a lot of fun. Sounds like it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so yeah. What what morning was it that we broke the rifle out? Morning Third, three. Morning three. First yeah. first day with Jason. Yeah. At that point, we had taken four four or five shots with a bow. Yeah. And just wanted to. We wanted meat. Yeah, we wanted meat. We we were allowed to. So, the the outfitter that we went with, High Adventure Company, met John Burrell um, in Maryland, sea deer hunting. He uh, he's actually based out of Atlanta, like right down the street from us here in Roswell. And through their outfitter, they allow I guess one trophy buck and then a doe. And so we just we bust the rifle out. We we're planning on just shooting the first doe that we saw. But first thing that morning, like right at sunrise, uh, Lee had a a pretty nice velvet buck, which is super rare this time yeah. of year. Apparently, yeah. Um, they did, they were acting like I mean I I don't know that's my first time hunting but they were acting like it was a really big deal that that time of year that yeah we, we killed one in velvet yeah one that's in velvet that's basically fully grown it's the the axis deer are weird like I've always heard that they're in all all different stages of growth right. and like rut but it didn't talking to those guys it didn't sound like that was necessarily true like I think the vast majority of them rut in May. Um, and so they're hard horn in May, but there's like some that are thrown off that are hmm. different. And so getting one um, that's like full grown velvet uh, that time of year was apparently pretty rare. Yeah, super odd. <clears throat> so yeah, we slipped into this spot. And there's deer everywhere. You have the rifle out, and I mean, dude, it was you could like Drew said. I mean, you could go out there and just hose them with a rifle. I mean, you could you could just you know kill as many as you wanted. And this deer comes on a string to when we saw him probably, you know, 600 yards out, came on a string to us and popped up at like 75 yards. And you could just see his head above the, like literally this is all you could see was like here and up when he stuck his head up in the lantana at like 75 yards and kind of looked at us. And so I, I put the shot like right here and just, just dropped him. And so that was cool. Bob was super excited because he's like, he hates it when people shoot him in the shoulders because it blows out, you know, it just ruins meat and stuff. So he was like super psyched that we shot one like, you know, right in the jugular pretty much to like preserve all the meat. So we got that all to him. And then uh, shortly after that, Drew went chasing around for one, ended up chasing one that we kind of ended up targeting. He was like white, just like an old deer. Yeah, gray face. Yeah which was pretty cool. Um, that was morning three. And then after the rifles, we went back to bows. We just like, we were bound and determined to get one with a bow. And we're going to have to go back to get one. I mean, I think that's a, uh, yeah, something gonna, we got to go back and accomplish. In suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited to have the meat back home. Mm-hmm. Mike, when we were on the big Island, cooked us some axis 
dude. It's it like I heard it's insane. oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. He like he took it. Uh, he used like a deli slicer and cut it really thin, and then marinated it in some sort of like teriyaki something or other, and threw it on the grill. It was nuts, like the most tender meat I've ever had in my life. Wow, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it dude. When it gets shipped back here, we'll we'll have a little cookout. We'll have some people over. It'll be like a preseason kind of cookout deal. Nice. Um, I'm trying to think of what else on the on Lanai before we jump over to the Big Island. One of the crazy things that we kind of learned while we were there. Uh, th- so the lantana is an invasive plant. There's all sorts of invasive stuff out there all over Hawaii, like the frogs from Costa Rica or something. It's like everything or- was. Brought there. there. Yeah, yeah, everything. Luckily, there's not snakes. And, and yeah. Drew and I were talking about that. I was like, at least you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't like snakes. I don't mind them. But there, so there's this lantana bush, and the state decided they wanted to get rid of it because it's invasive, and it's not, you know, the, I don't think the deer really eat it. It's not really doing any good. So they introduced this caterpillar, which obviously turns it turned into a moth that eats lantana. And... I don't know how many they brought over initially, but they're releasing everywhere now. Well, so they release the caterpillars, and then what did Jason say? Like within a month, the the moss had eaten all of the lantana. He said it was like a plague, just like like, straight up wiped out the whole island. It's like if you drove down the highway, is like Like the amount of moss we're blotting out the sun. (laughs) Is like how it's weird. Like it's almost like anything that is introduced in Hawaii, or I guess certain things, just thrive. Go crazy. Axis deer one, the lantana, these caterpillar moths. Goats. Goats. Yeah, I mean, it's just like Bob said, it's like when you bring something to heaven, it's going to, you know, (laughs) it's going to thrive. So it's kind of crazy how like certain things just go go nuts over there and just Mm -hmm. like completely take over. So that one, that one would have been interesting to see. Uh, They do some urban hunting over uh, all the night. He's like, some of the biggest deer are right in town. Another abandoned golf uh, golf course situation yeah. there, too. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I think that that, I'm going to Kansas this year, and I plan on spot and stalking, and I promise you that what we learned out there will, will pay off in those type yeah. situations. I mean, it's, I kind of was telling Jason, like, Jason, who we were hunting with out there, is like, dude, he's a phenomenal hunter. And it's because he grew up spotting and stalking and hunting some of the most difficult animals to archery hunt. And I was kind of giving the comparison to him. Like when I was a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood pond and that pond was fished every day by groups of kids. And I learned how to catch fish in a highly pressured pond. And I promise you that made me a better bass fisherman fishing for pressured bass as opposed to just going to like a pond where they're super easy to catch. And I think the same thing goes for, you know, Jason like grew up hunting some of the most difficult animals like that. And it's just made him like this total next level hunter. And so Drew and I being able to go out and like one, learn from him, but go through these, the experience of like spot and stalking these animals, I definitely think will, will pay off for us in other scenettings or other scenarios for mule deer or for whitetail, mm-hmm. hopefully this year. I definitely want to make it back out there as soon as possible. There's some things that I would bring next time we go. Knee pads. That I, <laughs> yeah, knee pads for one. <laughs> Gosh. That wasn't on the packing list for some reason. <laughs> Dude, the first stalk, like the first five minutes of us hunting, saw a group of bucks under this tree. Drew and I are like, let's go for it. 
we start stalking these things and it's like within five, 10 minutes, like hands bleeding, blisters everywhere. My pants are like, have been ripped in the knees. My knees are bleeding. Just like the lantana is just like shredded our arms up. And it was like 10 minutes in and we've just got mutilated trying to stalk these things. <clears throat> so yeah, knee pads would have been good. Also, so I didn't realize, I thought the whole island was basically just that flat, open terrain. I didn't think there was any timber, but the first couple of days when we hunted up kind of up on the mountain, there's a, there's a lot of timber, like some thick timber trees that you can definitely get a tree saddle in. Um, I think if you set up a saddle in some of these crossings, cause what these deer do is that there's like no, basically no water out there, but there's a couple water troughs that they, uh, the outfitter has set up kind of down in this valley. Nice. And so the deer migrate off the top of that mountain all the way down into the valley at night and then come back up during the day. And so we came across the herd kind of coming back up one morning in just droves. And if there's the trails on this mountain, like cutting across these roads is insane. They've like, they've basically cut out Looks like trails. a cattle trail. I mean, worse than that. I'm talking areas that are like two, three feet deep in the, <laughs> in the side of this road. Um, they said they had to replace the road. Because they, they had washed they it had, out. Yeah, it's it. It looked like it had been washed out, but they're not getting rain, <clears throat> and it was just where they had you know blazed trails through the road. <laughs> they had to like go in there and refix them. That's how, crazy. Yeah, but if you set up a tree saddle on one of those crossings, you could you could definitely crush them. Crush them with a bow. I mean, you you have a lot better chance of getting one within like thirty yards that way. Yeah, but it's also like not as fun as spot and stalking. Yeah. Like yeah. when you go out to a place like that with only three and a half days to hunt, you kind of want to just run around and chase after yeah. stuff. But if you had more time and like you kind of knew where these deer were crossing, it would definitely be effective to do that. Well, it sounds like you guys learned a lot for next time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> the worst part for me was night, night two, right. When we were, we were staying at an Airbnb in town, night two, lay down to go to sleep, look up in the corner of the room, and there's, like, just big-ass cockroach just <laughs> perched. And so, like, that <clears throat> sent me into a, a all-out panic mode because, like, I I can't sleep. Like, if that, that to me, is the worst-case scenario. If I see one outside, like, I'm going to run from it. You know, whatever. It's not that big a deal. I can run away, and I'm, I'm go- away from it. My worst scenario is when a, I'm going to bed. This is the place I'm sleeping and slumbering for the night and I see a cockroach that has infiltrated that perimeter and is now here. And if like, if we didn't kill that one, I, I honestly, I don't know what I would have done. I would have stayed somewhere else. We, we, <clears throat> we may or may not have seen you freak out about roaches once or twice before. Well, the last alligator hunt. <laughs> and that to me was not cool. It went and we ended up killing it, but like, <clears throat> I think I just had to get it off my chest a little bit. <laughs> so, moving on to the Big Island, we covered Lanai. I think so. Yeah. Anything else? Um, moving on to the Big Island. So we had uh, an outfitter that we had for pigs and goats, and <clears throat> when like if we if if we had all the time in the world, we'd obviously go over there do our thing, door knock and get access to places, but we had super limited time. So we had a, uh, outfitter booked for pigs and goats. Well, through Jason, 
who we hunted with on Lanai, he literally made two phone calls and had us totally set up with pigs and goats on the big island. So we still did a hunt with the outfitter for goats. We didn't want to like totally bail on and put that guy in a bad spot. So we did stay and hunt with him. Um, but we were able to hunt urban pigs with Michael. Um, and then also hunted an abandoned golf course for goats, which was the last evening before we flew out. Um, the big Island is a really cool spot. I like the big Island a lot. Mm -hmm. There's Oahu is like, so have you, you've been to Hawaii, right? Yeah. Just Kauai. But what is Kauai like? Uh, I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, just tons of, I mean, it's like a gigantic rainforest basically. Yeah. Um, beaches are gorgeous. Yeah. But there's towns and yeah, there's, it's probably more populated maybe than, uh, yeah, the big Island of course has got a bunch of people, but it was tons of roosters, tons of people, you know, eating poke bowls and whatever. It was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, one of the most beautiful spots ever. Oahu is like really condensed with a lot of people. And <clears throat> so we, like, we were there overnight, but, uh, the big Island is like, I like the big Island a lot cause it's, it's, it has a lot to offer, but it also still feels small townish in a way. Like it's not overpopulated or there's not like these huge cities. This is on the Kona side. Um, so is that where you guys stayed was Kona or sort of we, north we of flew Kona? Into, we flew into Kona, had plans of staying there, but our the Airbnb we booked was apparently overbooked, so that got canceled. <laughs> so Mike set us up to stay somewhere kind of up by him, which was like an hour and a half yeah away from kona and i i guess this is how hawaii works but like you know he texts us like hey i found someone for y'all to stay she this lady like literally just let us stay in her house it wasn't like it was a official airbnb it was like she had a spare room and i thought that she and mike were friends like knew each other super well no he he just he was like no i just like put up an instagram story and then you know had someone reached out and i just put y'all in touch so we like i guess that's just how things work out there it's just kind of like you know whatever yeah you know kind of go with it yeah i mean that that is definitely uh hawaii because like you just meet random people and they act like you've known them for years and Mm want to just open their doors and you know help you out yeah yeah it's pretty awesome yeah so we stayed there and we were we were kind of going north and south it was a good kind of central area um but we got put in touch with mike and uh we were sitting there talking on the phone i was like you know we were looking to to pig hunt he's like i got you know urban pigs he's also like there's a coffee bean farm we can go hunt, but Drew and I are like urban pigs. Like we need to we need to get in. <laughs> yeah, on that. wait a second. Let's stop at the urban part. <laughs> and so, I don't think we really had. I know it with I know what we did was not what I had in my head of what we would be doing. <laughs> I, <laughs> Where we ended up killing some is kind of what I had pictured. Yeah, that's kind of what I had pictured too. But uh, not not the the second spot we went to that was yeah that was kind of a surprise so mike's like yeah like we'll we'll do the urban game and he's like you know we'll we'll he's like i got all these recipes like we'll do all this stuff i was like dude this sounds awesome um so we go and meet mike so it's mike hawkins i want to mm-hmm. give him a plug his uh instagram is let him fly let underscore 
um, underscore fly, I believe it is. We can put it in the description. But one of the best dudes we've ever met. Yeah. And he's a killer, too. Yeah. I mean, he went above and beyond to show us aloha, which aloha doesn't just mean hello. It means, like, it's just, like, the welcoming kind of spirit, like, Hospitality. Yeah. He went above and beyond for us. And, like, dude, he changed our trip. I mean, he he made our Big Island trip, like, as special as it was, he was the reason. And it, and it stemmed from Jason putting us in touch with him, but he made it, dude, the, the most amazing experience. He's such a good dude. That's awesome. Um, so we met him at a gas station, and he hops in the car. We were in a Kia Soul <clears throat> rental car. It's my favorite rental car ever. Hop in a Kia Soul. We like pull pull into this uh, spot, and there's like, I think one of the cool things about Hawaii is like, there's stuff you can eat all over the place. So we pull into this yeah. guy's yard. There's like star fruit. There's these giant avocados, guava, guava, macadamia nuts, macadamia nuts. Um, there was one of the he he was giving us like pineapples. This guy was plucking out of his yard, mangoes, just like stuff you can just roasters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if so if the, if the end of the world ever happens, I'm going to Hawaii because there is an abundance of food that you could just live off the land from. Yeah, I, I mean, there's enough goats and pigs there to freaking feed an army for like a hundred years. I think that's why billionaires. Are it going really there. might be. That's probably just, one of the reasons. Yeah. Um. So we pull into this like little side yard. It's kind of like a little open pasture kind of looking area, and there's all these fruit trees and stuff around. And these pigs were coming in and eating all the fruit and stuff that was in Mac nuts that were dropping on the ground. Well, we're, we're walking out there and there's like this, uh, shed. Yeah. Like a, just a shed. And he's like, Oh, pig, pig, pig. This pig was like sleeping under this person's shed. (laughs) (laughs) And at first, the first in my head, it's like standing next to this little shed. And I was like, is this like a pet pig? Like that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I was like, is this a pet pig? Because it was literally like just sitting by there, this little, this little. It looked like a little, almost a tiny little guest house, but it was like a little shed, and just like kind of trotted out, like was looking around, kind of knew something was up. Went back to the house, and then when we stocked up, like I think he knew something was up and kind of took off. And that was within five minutes of starting to pig hunt. So we sat at that place, didn't see anything. <laughs> the next spot we went to, um, you know what gray water is. Mm-hmm. like the runoff from someone's sink or dishwasher, that kind of stuff. Yep. This person, um, Auntie Sharon, had this little pipe that ran back 20 yards. Not not even that not even behind 20. their house. Yeah. Like 10 yards. Yeah. And just, you know, dripping water out of this little pipe, just gray water. These pigs just are all in it. Huge wallow. Like, I mean, just massive dugout wallow, like, 10 yards from this person's house. And so we walk up and he like shows us the wallow and I was expecting to go like go back into a field and sit on something like that. We sat like wedged in between their house and this little like uh, shed that they have like their yard equipment and stuff. And like three of us were literally just like wedged up against their house. There was like surfboard out on a right. Drew was sitting in like a lean back, like lawn chair. I was sitting on a bucket <laughs> Uh, you got the shaft in it. Sounds like, <laughs> so it was like urban as urban gets. 
cats are the, the oh the rooster <laughs> this is the weirdest thing ever dude was, i feel like it was such a bad omen there's cats that are like it's funny they're the cats are like walking up to us and like looking at us and kind of acting like a deer where they're like you know i see you yeah and there's roosters walking around well we're sitting there and this rooster like pops out of this bush and then just goes like boom, boom and just like lays on the ground and just starts like spazzing out like kicking Do, on the ground the death flop <laughs> what? dude it just, just dies right dead. in front of us <laughs> are you kidding me? like one <laughs> second totally fine the rooster just ploop, plops over dead and we were sitting there like <laughs> looking at each other like what the hell just happened and even jason was like he's like that's messed up he's like that's some bad juju bad omen right there and then this cat comes like stalking in on it and Drew filmed all this. It's kind of, it'll be really funny. This cat like sees this dead rooster and starts like creeping up on it and then like looks back at, back at us and it starts doing the deer head bob thing again. Um, I wonder if they'd been having a battle before and maybe it was just like the end. I don't know. We went and kind of looked at it, trying to figure something out. It looked it pretty just, sick. Yeah. And I th- we got kind of close. I think I was like about to touch it with my boot and Jason or, or uh, Mike was like, don't touch it. It's like, <laughs> do not touch that thing. Um, and so we sat there and he was like, normally, uh, he sees like hordes of pigs there. We saw one big one that ran across the field behind, but this lady was babysitting a dog and the dog was kind of wandering the yard. And he said that, uh, they get hunted by dogs a lot over there. Oh, okay. And these pigs are super, like super sensitive to smell. <clears throat> and he said that he thinks like the dog scent in the yard is kind of what threw off the pigs coming in. So you say big, like what's a big pig in Hawaii? 300 is like really big. Real yeah. big. But the ones we end up shooting were like 50 pounds, 60 pounds, mm-hmm. 40 to 60. Some eaters. Yeah, yeah, good eating size. Nice. So we sat there for a while. Um, sat there until dark. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's like they're in their kitchen like 10 feet from us in their kitchen window and you can hear him like talking the whole time and when we pulled up she was like yeah please like please shoot him she's like you know please get rid of him we see him every night and so um and it's it was cool we were driving from spot to spot and i said this earlier but jason's like yeah i got i got permission here i got i got he calls it the pass i got a pass instead of like permission he's like i got a pass here i got a pass here pass there and it was like exactly what we do here, just in a totally different environment for a different That's species. Awesome. But it was the same kind of deal. I mean, he said these pigs get pressured really heavily by dog hunters and stuff and a lot of the bigger pieces of property. So they'll move into the so suburbs, getting, right? Yeah, to try and find refuge. Um, then after that, uh, we went to this little field off a road and he found some in the thermal and we made some nighttime stalks on them that ended up pretty well nice lee shot one at five feet <laughs> dude <laughs> me to you seriously with, and, your, with, with your bow yeah and, nice. then it, and then it spun around and chased him and he he about like tackled me trying <laughs> to run away from it <laughs> and he fil- drew filmed it all too like i was about to say i want to see this <laughs> it's pretty funny because the, the pig literally whirls around and runs like right at me. I freaked out because the arrow was still in the pig, and 
like I, I didn't want to get I mean the thing I could have probably you know I wasn't that it wasn't maybe, a 300 yeah. pound pick no it wasn't like yeah that yeah. I was going to get mowed over but the thing I, I think I just wasn't expecting it so it like really <laughs> startled me but it was also had the broadhead sticking out of his you know the opposite side of him so you didn't, didn't want to yeah. get sliced no and so I think I did really like run into Drew <laughs> trying to like backpedal away from this thing um and then we ended up spotting uh two more pigs in the back corner and swapped it up drew got the bow the footage actually turned out really cool mm-hmm. uh especially with the the lighted knocks yeah drew shot his at like 25 yards mm-hmm. and uh it ran into the like <laughs> dude this this grass that was probably 10 feet tall oh just super thick super thick and there's these tunnels that were kind of buried into it. I don't know if it was from the pigs or something else. But uh, the blood trail like goes into one of these tunnels, and I get on my hands and knees and start crawling. But it was covered the, in needles. Yeah, and then the tunnel kind of runs out, and I'm having to like push Spread grass it. aside. The first, like the first time I kind of grab the base of one of these grass stalks, I like pick my hand up, and I have just fiberglass looking needles just stuck all in my hand uh, Dude, it's it got brutal. these little little hairs on it that just stick into you and it was yeah it was terrible our legs so, were just like covered in it gloves knee pads yeah <laughs> tree saddle more arrows definitely more <laughs> arrows we we could yeah we like i feel like you could go out there one you could mow down some goats mm-hmm. you could also mow down some pigs so like we were kind of being conservative like we could obviously we could easily shot more pigs but we were like you know we need to make sure we can get to the end of the trip with arrows um so yeah like we almost lost your pig it didn't go far at all no but dude it like it took us some time to find this thing (laughs) because it was i mean it was it was 10 yards from us the whole time probably yeah we ended up just buried up in some of that tall grass and we we started just stomping around in it finally felt it happened to basically step right next to it yeah Yeah. um and so a dream of mine came true that night because (laughs) when i hunted north dakota last year i was in a kia soul and all i wanted to do was put a big deer in the kia soul so we drug him back to the kia took some rope threw him up on top of the kia soul Tied him off, drove him back to Jay's, uh, to Mike's house, and uh, he's got a garage hanger too. Oh, nice! Yeah, and so he's got you know pulley system, pulled it up right in his garage, sat there and cleaned him up, and uh, that was, was his electric. No, his was a pulley okay. system. We I got, told we him may, that, we may have to give him the uh, the hook up there. I think we need to send him one of those. Yeah, as a game changer, a big a good one. Something that's really cool about the culture out there and I, I don't think it's just the hunting culture. I think it's just the culture in general is it seems like they're way more connected to like their ancestry and their roots mm. and like living off the land and just being respe- respectful, but also just like resourceful with the land. Um, the way that they clean their animals, gut them, quarter them, debone them. They take like extreme pride in that and also like pay attention to detail so like when when Mike was gutting it, when Bob the butcher was uh, cleaning stuff, like gutting, they make sure they do not nick any of the guts. They like cut the rectum out and make sure they pull everything out without any pee or like poop or gut matter touching any of the meat. Um, so it's just kind of it. I feel like it's different here. Like here, 
you shoot a deer, you get the guts out as fast as you can, you hose it out kind of deal. Like there, they don't want any of that stuff to touch the meat. They don't want water to touch the meat because it starts cooking it basically, starts breaking it down. Um, and they just, you know, they use as much as they possibly can off all the animals. That's awesome. So it's kind of, it kind of gave me a, a little bit different perspective that I want to take back here. They They almost would like, if the if like poop or part of the intestines uh like or the urine got on like one of the hind quarters they'd almost treat it like it's done like it's it's they would obviously still make the most of it and clean it and stuff but they would honestly be like it's almost ruined mm-hmm. like they take extreme extreme care with how they're cleaning and gutting an animal and that's definitely something we're bringing back to yeah we even, more care into we even talked to Bob the Butcher. He's actually moving to the States um, in December. And we talked to him about flying him out to Atlanta and consulting with us with our processor and kind of getting us set up with a process of uh, cleaning, quartering, and oh, doing awesome. all the grinding and sausage and everything because he's, he's got it down. And I can promise to you... an art, yeah. Yeah, I can promise you that no other processor, at least that I've been to, takes the care that that he does and the way that he cuts his, his meat, the way that he like, he, he acts like he has, and I believe him that he has some sort of process that he basically came up with that nobody else knows how to do. Um, and I'm really curious to see the meat when we get it back, but the way that he like leaves ribs in connected to like the loin, um, he just, I think he does a lot of bone in stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just know no one else does that. And I think it'd be really cool to bring that back for whitetails. So hopefully in the future, if we, uh, if we get this processor thing figured out and finally find a place yeah. that he can, uh, he does it. He sounds like an awesome resource. Yeah. Yeah. He does it so fast too. Like really quick. And he's a wicked good chef. Like Lee was saying, he's a French trained chef. So he like, he can approach, he approaches it from that side of things too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so Mike, cleaned up the pigs like took a ton of care with that and uh let them i guess we, we put them on ice for two days and then mike threw this ridiculous barbecue for us yeah it was uh <laughs> it was like the perfect ending ending to our trip we were like we were just we were at this like is a park and we were just like on this high spot and it's a uh, just like sun setting waves like crashing into these rocks and just like Dude, it was, it was insane. Um, I'm really excited to see how all that, that all that footage turned out. And then, after the pig thing, um, we jumped into goat hunting. Another surprise, really for fun. us, because we flew into Kona and driving out of Kona, like I didn't, I didn't really do any. Re- I don't know anything about goat hunting. I didn't really do much research about hunting goats on the Big Island. So I didn't realize like what kind of terrain they lived in. Driving out of the airport, you drive through a lava field where it's it looks essentially looks like a bunch of charcoal, like giant lumps of charcoal yeah. poured out over a huge flat. And driving out, we saw like a a big group of goats just like standing perched up on that stuff and immediately we're like we have to go hunt a goat in a lava field. A, because it'd be really cool. It's just so different. But B, because we can name the video Hunting Goats in Lava Field. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it's legit, not clickbait. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so we 
that's when we called the outfitter and, and we were like, we, we actually had a, a pig hunt planned with him. And since we were hunting pigs with Mike, we're like, Hey, we actually want to go kill a goat. Uh, do you have any lava fields that we can go hunt on? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Which apparently that's, it's obviously where the goats live because right. they're everywhere and there's lava fields all over that part of the big Island. Um, so yeah, we, uh, ended up, I guess that afternoon meeting up with a guy at like three o'clock and the lava field that they had us set up on was right on the edge of the ocean. So it was what he, he basically said it was like an infinity pool, but this lava field started at like a cliff and then kind of dropped down and just disappeared into the ocean. So it was, I mean, it was like the most picturesque spot you could possibly think of. And we, we had no idea, like we'd had, like I said, we knew nothing about goat hunting. I didn't know how difficult it was going to be. Um, didn't know how many we were going to see. Like, could we stock up on these things? Yeah. I knew nothing going into it. Ended up bringing a rifle and a bow, a rifle for backup just in case, you know, it wasn't happening. We only had basically one afternoon to get it done. We hiked probably, I don't know, half a mile into this place and get up on this little cliff that overlooks, I guess, kind of like this basin that's got some shrubbery, some trees in it that they feed on. Um, and we're just kind of glass and there's a bunch of different groups of goats. There may have been like 30 goats that we were looking at, which was what we, we thought at the time was a a ton, but we found out later that like, there's not even close to a ton. There's so many more. Um, so we're sitting there for maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, like looking at a few goats we have no idea what a big goat looks like. Right. And uh, we see a one, we see a group of like three of them that are that look pretty big. They kind of drop off the backside of this thing. But there's a bunch of other like nannies and smaller billies in between us and them, so we can't we can't really go after them. But once we once we commit to stalking something, like it's going to blow out whatever's right in front of us. So we're just kind of taking our time, glassing, seeing what all's in the area. And all of a sudden, we have like a group of five that kind of pop up 150 yards away down below us. And it's, I think mostly nannies, two billies and one of the billies to us looked big is, I mean, it's like a, probably an average size billy, but it looked, looked great to me. I was, I was planning on shooting the first, you know, decent billy. I had an opportunity yeah. yet, or even potentially a nanny if it gave me a good opportunity. And so we're like, okay, yeah, that I'd shoot that one. Let's, let's kind of see what, see what it does. And so Lee and I kind of drop off the top of this cliff 15, 20 yards to kind of get in a position where we can still see, but we're like ready to go stalk something uh, if they make a move. This Billy kind of disappears in a bush for a little bit. And so we're just sitting there, kind of creep a little bit farther down. And nothing is within shooting range. Like the closest goat is probably 100 yards from us. We didn't think that we'd have a, a shot from where we're at. But all of a sudden, this, the biggest billy that we see in this whole area that we can glass pops up out of the bush, <laughs> walks directly like to us across this little ridge of lava, and we have we have like this strip of trees in between us and like the lava field where they're all in. The goat walks, gets in that strip of trees, <laughs> walks within twenty yards of us, and stops in my one perfect shooting lane. <laughs> And Lee's Lee's like on a rock up above me. I'm kind of I'm I'm in a super awkward position. Like my leg is like this because I was trying to get down this cliff. Yeah. But this nanny was like sp- watching us, so I like stopped right here. And so I have to draw my bow like this. 
and just crushes Billy at 20 yards. Uh, it was like, a textbook. Huh? Yeah, that within 15 is, minutes, uh, that's awesome. Within 15 minutes, uh, you know, getting set up, and we're like, "What the? What just happened? What just happened?" <laughs> well, when we got there, the guy, <clears throat> the guy was super cool, and he's like, "He's like, y'all sure you want to like bow hunt him?" We're like, "Yeah." And then he was telling us about the last guy he took bow hunting. He was like, you know, the closest we got was 90 yards. And he like took a shot at one and like hit it. I don't, I don't think they, or they, they then finish it off with a rifle later. But he was, cause I'm like goat hunting. It's going to be easy, right? That's just what my preconceived notion was. It's goats. We see, we see him drive down the highway and he was like, no, he's like, it's, it's going to be like really difficult to get a bow shot. Yeah. And so when he told us that, then, then the thought crosses your mind and be like, this is going to be brutal. Like we're going to chase these things around on lava and this is going to be brutal. And it was like just the most textbook perfect. Like here he comes on a string hunt. That's awesome. And even the guide was like, damn. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we were, that was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. We were high fiving and stuff and that was really fun. I I think that thing ran like 20, 30 yards and piled up. Mm -hmm. But the crazy part was on our way out there, there's these like lava tubes that if you fell in, like you're probably dead, especially if you're by yourself. I don't know how you're getting out. It's like this little hole in the ground and we were like dropping rocks in it and it's like 20 plus feet deep. And it's like one falling in there would jack you up pretty bad, but it's, it's like an open like lava, like just area. You have to go Alex Honnold and climb out. Yeah. And then there's like this little opening at the top. And we were walking, walking. He's like, "Don't fall in there." Is it like where an air bubble came up when it's? I think it's where the lava is still f- the top harden top layer hardens, yeah. and there's still lava flowing underneath it. And I guess some, yeah, somehow it creates a, an air bubble in there that hardens that way. Yeah. But he was saying that the goats will use that; they'll hide in it and they'll like travel in it sometimes. What? Yeah. Because he couldn't where he was perched up, he couldn't really see what was happening, and he was thinking that the billy like got in one of those lava tubes and popped out right in front of us. That's crazy. That's it's a bizarre landscape. So that hunt was, yeah, that was, that was a cool hunt. And then, so after that, I was like, this goat hunting thing's pretty fun. Like I, I didn't, wasn't sure what to expect going in. And then the last hunt that we didn't film was on an abandoned golf course. This place was crawling with goats. I mean, like, literally slam packed filled with goats. I probably saw, so we got out there, we didn't film it and drew and I split up. I hang with, I hung with the guy that was taking us drew went to the top and I'll bet you that just me and Jonah saw 300 to 200 to 300 goats. Mm-hmm. And we only hunted like the length of kind of two holes of this golf course. We kind of went down to the low side and then, there was just it just went up to this like big so they just eat range. everything there i mean i guess i don't really know the locals or the goats, goats. goats. like i guess they're just like goats here they eat everything yeah yeah i would assume so yeah um and so and and kind of backtracking to like uh i guess eating goats and like how much respect goes into these animals and stuff like even fish they eat fish that people do not eat here and it's I, like parrotfish is a delicacy there. And if you're like spearfishing in the Bahamas or something, literally nobody shoots parrotfish. They'll, they're swimming all around you. Nobody shoots them. 
because they're just they say they're like trash to eat but out there they're like a prize fish and i'm sure some of it has to do with maybe it's a different environment and right. that fish you know is may has a different diet and maybe it's more tasty out there but i think most of it is they're really in tune with how to prepare certain certain game or certain fish in yeah. certain ways that are best for that kind of fish or the best way to prepare that certain fish. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, anyways, backtracking to the goat, um, they were starting when we split up, they were kind of at the bottom of this range and they were, they were constantly working up. So we were kind of intersecting some of them down low and Drew had split up and went to the top and was kind of intersecting them as they were on their on going on their way up. Um, when we split up, we went to there were some that were bedded down on the tee box, like literally on the on the tee box. There was like eight of them bedded down. One of them was a good billy. There was a pond below that where there was a bunch more. When you're goat hunting out there, like you're blowing them out sometimes, and it doesn't really matter. Like if you're going for this group down here, he was like, just blow those out, like get them out of the way, and start yeah, hunting. The ones you're yeah, targeting. start the hunting. Yeah, it's not. They're not like deer where they sit there and go like blow at you yeah. and then blow everything. Blow everything it's yeah. just they just kind yeah. of like run away. Um, so we kind of blew the ones off the tee box to hunt the ones by the pond. Um, we go past them. They eventually get up from the pond. They're starting to go up the hill, and I ran up to the tee box and I'm hiding behind the wall of this tee box and this line of goats comes all in front of me and the, the brown one in the back was the one I was going to shoot. And so I'm sitting there waiting on the brown one, waiting on the brown one. I, I look back at Jonah and he's like, he's, he's bedded back here and he's like, come back this way. So I ran back to him. And of course, as soon as I go back to run back to him, goat gets up and walks <laughs> 10 yards from where I was hiding behind this tee box, works its way up the hill we ended up chasing a bunch around uh, and there were some really big billies in that area. Mm -hmm. And I took a shot at one at, uh, I think it was 83 yards was the closest shot we got on like a big billy. And we both thought the arrow was tracking right into the boiler room and the goat like turned to kind of walk away last second. And it like, it like hit his shoulder and like bounced off <laughs> as he kind of turned like that. And then they all kind of scattered and ran up the hill. And then and then I happened to look up at the top and I was like, oh, Drew's there's, way up there. There's me standing in the middle of 400 units. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just slinging arrows left and right. <laughs> Drew intersected these things. Like I just looked up and I could, in my entire peripheral, could probably see 100 goats. For sure. And Drew's at the middle of them all. He's at the very top. I'm like, oh, man, he's, he's getting into some action. <laughs> so I... We split up right when we got there. I killed one within five minutes of leaving them. Like I, my plan was to walk up to the top, and uh, to get to the top, I had to walk past another water hazard. And I looked in this like thicket, uh, right behind the water hazard, and there was a freaking pile of them, like fifty of them, a bunch of big billies. And so I just kind of stopped and I, I kind of got up wind, sat down on the lava. They fed out, drank some water, and then crossed like right in front of me, 35, 40 yards. That's awesome. And I the biggest one was kind of in the back, and he was big. I mean, he was – sometimes these things, like, some of them grow uh, sweep up and back, like an ibex kind of. Yeah. And then other ones, they go straight out and, like, twist. And this one in the back was one that went straight out and twisted. It was way bigger than the one I'd killed the first day. 
I range 35 yards at this road. This Billy comes out waiting for him. I start getting like goat fever a little bit. <laughs> and I try to shoot him at 40 yards with my 35 yard pin, like trying to hold high. And I just, I shot under him. But uh, the group kind of like trots for a second. And then another like pretty big one comes out. And I, I smoke him at 35. The whole group after that runs up the lava, up the hill. And so I kind of just follow him up. And uh, I get to this point, it's almost like a, I, I guess it's sort of like the peak of this little lava hill. Um, I get up and over it, and there's like another basin. And when I kind of crest this basin, there's just, there's like four different groups of goats. There had to have been probably 150 um, that I could see on the backside there. And then like, the ones that least uh, spooked up to me, like they just kept flowing up there. But the weirdest thing is these things stand so still like that. I think they knew something was up. Yeah. So all 150 of these goats are standing motionless, just like looking down the cliff and they just stood there for probably an hour. Like I, there was no way that I can make a move without something seeing me. Cause there were so many eyes. So I just like posted up and waited. And like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, we had our flight was at boarded at eight thirty. And so we set like a hard cut off to get out of there at six thirty, and it's getting down to the wire. It's like six o'clock, and I'm like, crap! I need to either make a move on one of these or just call it quits. And like right about that time, one of the one of the big groups like kind of comes up behind me, and the last Billy is a, what I think I think is a pretty big one, um, but I ended up shooting him at sixty five and uh, killed him and. <laughs> called those guys at the bottom of the mountain and we're like all right we need to get this thing out of here asap and get back to the truck and get out of here so took the guts out real quick lee ran up met me and we just sprinted down this lava field it turned into a cluster really fast yeah i mean i like i legit thought we were gonna miss our flight for like 100 percent. when i saw the instagram feed i was like they're going to miss their fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought for sure that we were. Yeah. And I mean, we, we probably ended up walking to our gate like within, within under 10 minutes. They were boarding, mm-hmm. uh, when we walked up to the gate. So like, I mean, it, we, we cut it really close, but it was like an epic ending. Oh yeah. Too. And it was honestly a treat too. So two things that were a treat to us is like, you know, the, the filming is, like obviously it's it's extra work and we love doing it we would like obviously you know it's it's the it's the bloodline of what we do filming our hunts and we wouldn't be able to have this amazing job if we weren't filming our hunts but filming it adds a whole different component you know the extra guys you know having to film it and make sure all this stuff it's really a treat sometimes when you can just kind of just hunt or just fish yeah. and just not have to worry about it. And so there was two times we went spear fishing and we didn't film it. We just went, had fun with it. And that last hunt, when we got to split up and just both hunt, not film about it, not worried about it, just hunt was like such a treat to be able to do that and kind of ending the trip that way. Uh, not having to worry about footage or this, that, and the yeah. other. Like it was, it was really, really back to the roots. Yeah. Really nice. That's cool. But if we do go back, I think that we're going to request if we can film there because 
it it would be epic. I mean, it's it's, it's on a golf course, and there are hundreds of these goats. That's awesome. So, made our flight back. Feel really bad for the people that sat next to us. <laughs> and uh, in a nutshell, that was our Hawaii trip. Well, I may or may not be in Hawaii whenever you guys decide to go <laughs> next time. <laughs> that's the that's the cool part is uh, everybody we hunted with was like, dude, you got to come back, you know, and hunt with us this time or this. You got to yeah. come back. You got to come back. So that's cool. Um, we've we've definitely gotten plugged in over there. Uh, it opened a lot of doors for us, and I I, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for us to mm-hmm. go back and and hunt some of these. There's also like. Uh, rams or sheep up yeah, there mouflon sheep that's a, that's one thing that we didn't get to hunt while we were there that, that's probably the most or it is the most sought after game like trophy game out there and there's uh there's some big ones some of these guys that we hunted with had pictures of some really nice ones yeah that's awesome so we and that's up on got the, plugged in up there and that's on, up on the volcano like higher elevation which i didn't realize how tall those volcanoes are oh yeah i, I mean they go it gets from cold they go from sea level to Almost fourteen thousand feet. Yeah, which is bizarre. Yeah. What is what's like Breckenridge? I think Breckenridge is like twelve. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild. Eleven. You can literally go from like snorkeling and spearfishing in one day to standing in snow in the evening. Yeah, that's so awesome. But it'd be fun to go back and try to get get on a big mouflon. I think we have next time we'll have much a much better plan and a much better idea of like exactly what we're going to be doing. Um. And I think maybe we take the wives and girlfriends next time because have a hunting side of it and then have a yeah vacation side of it because there's so much stuff like that we wanted to do that we just didn't have time go to. see yeah. and stuff yeah but it, it it could have been it could not have gone better for us that's a kind of trip where it could have been a complete disaster uh, and it ended up being just like an incredible experience. Not just because of the hunting, but because of the people, too, yeah. that we were able to, to hang with. Well, I think that's an amazing way to kick off this season. Yeah. So, for sure. Um, what we got coming up is you and I are leaving for an alligator hunt in the morning. Yes. South Florida. Um, that should be fun. I love alligator hunting. Yeah. I quickly became addicted when we went last time yeah and, uh, you got a wild hair that that first time we went gator hunting. yeah i, I saw something I expect in, in your eyes that i hadn't seen before yeah um, and then, I, i'm ready and then drew you're leaving for utah in like four or five days yeah the season opens august 20th so you're like what day is it <laughs> it's about to get insane yeah so Fly. it is underway we've yep. got We've got some big deer on camera. Um, we just got to make it happen. Nashville is maybe not so much for me, but you guys have some slammers in Nashville. They're, yeah. You candle and Slade. I hope, I really hope that one of us can pull off a velvet buck. That yeah. that velvet season is tough. I it's mean, you tough, have three yeah. days to make it happen. And like the weather has such a huge play into it because there's thunderstorms and, um, so hopefully weather hits us good and they cooperate. Yeah. I'm probably going to do all day sits. Uh, cause a lot of times those deer will come out at one o'clock yeah. at noon, stuff like that. And, um, the places I'm so hunting hot. are tight. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's always it's, so hot up there. Yeah. 
the places I'm hunting are going to be tight. It's not going to be, I dude, I've tried so hard to get like a big bean farm to hunt, which is, you know, you're seeing, isn't you're easy, seeing right? Drew? No. It's not easy, but you know, it's fun. It's fun hunting. You can you're yeah. seeing yeah. those bucks and stuff. Yeah. I always have wanted to hunt a bean farm. have not been able to get one. So I'm, I'm in, I'm we deep in the urban game. If you want to hunt the bean farm, I'll I can't, hunt your spot. Uh, <laughs> I can't pass on this one. That's, Cause I've been trying, around. I've been trying to get a more urban spot for the early season to give myself better. I mean, it really doesn't even give you better odds cause they're hopping blocks of woods and you can't bait there. The urban but, stuff I think is almost more challenging, um, to really pin down their summer areas. Yeah. Uh, a bean field is like, I mean, they're going to, you're going to see them out there. It's yeah. just whether or not you get a shot. Yeah. But I, I'm going back one more time. I'm going to go back in a couple of days and finish up on the leads uh, that I got this past the, over the summer. Hopefully, land one of the the maybes that I I got in this one area where I know there's several big shooters. Um, and then my my flight from Utah is straight to Nashville, so I'll meet you guys out there. Well, I've got to get up there and plant my urban spot. Don't know if I'm going to make it before velvet season, but got a plan in place and that's going to make for a pretty epic spot, yeah, some, I think. There's, you should kill one there this year for sure yeah there's some big ones up there yeah so we flew in last night we're leaving for alligator hunting in the morning as soon as we get back from that i've got to go to ohio michigan well first i gotta to go to tennessee ohio michigan then back down to tennessee for the velvet hunt so and i don't i don't know when we will be home in the foreseeable future for more than like a couple days. Let the games begin. <laughs> so anything else on the Hawaii stuff? I feel like we covered most of it. No, I think that was, that's pretty much it. I think we got a, uh, pretty good odds for the opener at jo- in Georgia too. Agreed. Kendall's got a big end. Kendall will kill opening weekend. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> I'm feeling, 100%. I'm feeling pretty confident right now. I got a I got a pretty good uh, mix of deer right now that I'd be happy with two or three of them. Kendall's got a really big one. Lee's got one that he's at, acting like is not big, but it's definitely big. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> should I shoot this? Uh, yes. <laughs> he's only one seventy five. Yeah, sorry. Pass him up. He's not one eighty, I guess. Yeah. And then I got one. I got a couple. Um, one's not consistent. The other one's pretty consistent, but pretty solid deer. Not a not a giant, but definitely would. Uh, well, that big eight showed back him. up, right? Yeah, I just he showed up at night and he didn't stick around. I need to get feedback over there. I, as soon as we hang up on this thing, I'm going to get more spots. I got to put cameras out. I got to grab some feed from your garage while I'm here, and uh, that's what I did all morning was run around to like. 11 different spots and feed so sweet well let's get after it let's, let's it. wrap her up Can see you boys